Well, uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining me a little bit earlier. Um, I'm here, of course, well, back with our good friend, Dr. Paul Cottrell. And um, yeah, I'm obviously one of us is in need of a haircut. Uh, I'll let you guys on the audio figure out who. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for uh, dropping by uh, tonight, Paul. It's been a little while since we chatted. So uh, for my audience, uh, if you could just remind everyone about your history and vital statistics. Well, my, my blood pressure is uh, 122 over 80, <laughs> and, uh, you know, my... We'll be, so we'll be measuring that over the course of the show and <laughs> see how that goes, depending on the comments. But, but for, the pe for the ones that don't know me, um, you know, I have a YouTube channel and I talk about current events, but recently it's been about uh, the COVID-19 crisis since January 25th, and I've been publishing almost every day. But I've been, you know, a little bit busy recently because of, of some school um, work that I've been working on. But my, uh, my background is um, I have an undergrad uh, from Wayne State University in, in management and electives in engineering, mechanical engineering. I have an MBA in finance, a PhD in finance. Uh, my PhD is from Walden University. Um, my undergrad and MBA is from Wayne State University from Detroit. And um, finishing up my master's um, degree from Harvard University, uh, specializing in biology. And I finished the pre-med program at Fordham University. So this is, I'm, I'm transitioning away from the financial world. I live in New York City, did proprietary trading, managed a portfolio for a very large nonprofit and which happened to be catholic charities but um and uh and uh because of what happened to my brother he died from heart disease at a young age at age 36 um i'm pursuing medicine so that's my scholastic background um and uh i have a i have something to say about you know current events <laughs> that's going on in this world and you know and um you know part of a network that you you're a part of and that's you know trying to inform the public about what's going on and the erosion of uh, the civil liberties and and the geopolitical play that's taking place the the uh, financial destruction that's taking place there's a lot of topics to talk about with this current crisis it's not just the virus but there's a lot of sociological uh, psychological and philosophical aspects to this that need to be discussed. Right, right. I'm sorry. I, if I heard the story of your brother, it didn't register. So I just wanted to express my my sympathies. Is is that a family history thing? Is is this something you're at risk for as well? Or was he spectacularly unhealthy? Was it a random thing? I mean, how did that come about? No, it's it runs on my mother's side of the family. Um, a lot of the males get heart disease at a younger age. And it's based on some risk factors. One of the biggest risk factors is high um, carbohydrate diet. Mm. And then there's a lot of inflammation, there's plaque buildup, and then it just advances very quickly. And so the ones that don't get a stint or a bypass usually die young, in, mm. in, in between 35 and 45. And that's what happened to my brothers is that he wasn't able to get the PCI the um, the stint um, in enough time, um, unfortunately, he had a minor heart attack one month before he had his his major heart attack and died. And was it just like a 
erase the whiteboard kind of thing when he had the big one or was it touch and go or how did that play out? No, no, no. It was, he, he was, it was in July of 2010. He wasn't feeling well. Uh, it was hot. They had a heat wave in Michigan. Um, he lived about 20 minutes away from my parents. So he left work uh, at about six o'clock PM. He usually worked late. He was an accountant and uh, asked my parents to come over. He wasn't feeling well. And they came over. Um, my father thought that he had just indigestion because my brother was always eating fast food. He, you know, he wasn't married, you know. He fast was food and a desk job. Ooh. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, he gained weight. He, you know, he had, you know, all, it had the hypertension and, you know, everything. So um, my mother stayed with him and my father went to the store to get, like a, a Malox or Pepto-Bismol or something like that, because he had Chipotle, you know, for, for lunch. And, um, you know, my father was thinking, well, it must've been indigestion or something. And uh, 20 minutes later, he died. He died with my mother, you know, and uh, my father, you know, comes, you know, through the door and, you know, he's already dead. Um, then the, you know, the EMS, you know, comes and they, they were, you know, they, they pumped his, heart with the adrenaline to try to get it to restart. But I mean, you know, after multiple times, they worked on him for about 45 minutes before, mm. you know, before they, they called it. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's something that runs on my mother's side of the family. My, my cousin, um, my cousin, Marky, my cousin, um, Sheldon, they all had heart attacks at a young age, age 40 and age, um, well, Sheldon, he was a little bit fitter. He used to be a marathon runner. He had his heart attack at age 50 and needed the triple bypass. Well, Wait, so Mar being a marathon runner in your family buys you about eight years? Like that? <laughs> that's, that's about, it? <laughs> that's about yeah. it. And my mother had her heart attack at age uh, 40. She's had four of them. She has five stints. And then um, my uncle Jack, he passed away at age 46 on a racquetball court. Um, and uh, my uncle Blair, he died at age 35 from the same problem. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll make it through the end of the show. <laughs> you feeling okay? <laughs> no, I'm feeling, don't get I'm feeling quick, okay. No, no, I'm feeling all right. I'm okay. that's, that, that's, you know, that, that was kind of the reason why I said, you know, the blood pressure thing. Because I, I have my blood pressure, you know, checked regularly. And, you know, I have a cardiologist and, you know, yeah. we do stress tests. And, I mean, it's, it's checked regularly. Unfortunately, my my brother dan who's the one that passed away he has a twin uh his his name's joel and Wait, joel his name is so he's a current you're you're talking current tense not past tense okay yeah, so yeah. so so yeah so so joel is still alive but he went into the military right after high school no dan did lots of movement and, yeah, right yeah. right right so he was much fitter dan kind of started gaining the weight never lost it and it just compounded well, you know, Joel's married, has kids, you know, is busy working, you know, he's gained the weight and he's got the hypertension and he's on blood thinners and he's got, you know, the high blood pressure and he's showing all the signs that Dan had when he, when Dan was around 25. So, you know, it's just like, and Joel's now 46 right now. 
Yeah, the weight thing is a killer. Maybe we'll do a whole other show on on weight thing. But yeah, the weight thing, the weight thing is a killer. And what you can take for granted, I, I remember I had a director. Uh, he was my um, uh, one of my English professors when I was in undergrad, and he directed me in a Harold Pinter play. And I was a broke student, and I would go to the hot dog cart, right? And and you know, for two bucks. Like seriously, you could get like a because you'd get a big bun, you'd get the big sausage, and and you like I would pile it high with all like tomatoes and and onions and and chili and lettuce and and everything, cheese, you know, and just man, because I could I could do like three quarters of a day on two bucks, which was actually kind of important my entire budget at the time. You know, there's only so many women you can date who've got script money, you know, so you can eat and all that. I'm just a gigolo for like cafeteria food, but. I remember my professor was looking at me and he was, I guess, my age now. And this is back when I was like 20 or 21 or whatever. And he was looking at me, you know, going in like a shark on a baby seal on this giant hot dog with everything on it. Right. And he was like, man, enjoy it while you can. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'll have the same digestion when I'm. Oh, no, no, I won't. I really, really won't. And um, basically the entire process of aging uh, it's like, uh, you know, the rockets go up and then what they drop these stages, right? Because, you you know, you've burned it out and you drop it. So the whole point of getting older is, yeah, you used to like that. Sorry. None for you. Anyway, no soup for you. And I, the things I used to eat, like I can't even imagine anymore. Like I, I don't keep chips or cookies or chocolate or anything like none of that stuff. And that you can't have it. You can't have it around. It's just you've got to you've got to just say goodbye to all of that stuff. Like you're dropping some useless stage. And for me, bursting up through the the sort of strata of the decades is just dumping stuff. Oh, I can't have that anymore. I can't have that anymore. No more white bread. Right. And and that's what you got to do. But a lot of people are just like, they keep the food constant no matter what else they're doing. And that's just a disaster. Mm-hmm. No, that's shit. And I, I don't know if you, you, you have Taco Bell in Canada, right? Uh, toxic hell. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. What it's sometimes so, called. Yeah. But, uh, yeah well, you know, back in- away from the, uh, from the Montezuma's revenge food of the original Incas, right. but yeah, we do. Well, have but, the, but the thing is, you know, Dan and Joel, when they, you know, this is the, let's say early nineties. I mean, you could, you, for 20 bucks, you could eat like a King at Taco oh, yeah. Bell. <laughs> you know, talking about, I think specifically Henry VIII <laughs> is who we're talking about. As far as the king goes, you get your gout as on your way to the car. Your your your, uh, your calves just explode. All right, well let, let's get on with. So I was actually because you and I first did a show. I don't know, boy, I was like I don't know March or something like that. So you know we we've had a we've had a whole character arc. Like we've had a whole plot arc here. Like we're on the third of the trilogy set on the world stage here. And I was thinking about like some of the early stuff that we talked about. Uh, where are you with regards to what you thought was going to happen, how it's playing out? And uh, I mean, obviously we go into the future, but let's just do a quick, you know, the objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. How does it seem to you uh, when you're looking back upon how you thought it was going to play out? That's a great question. Um, Some things we got right. Some things we didn't get right. Um, The things that we did get right were there was a, uh, a man-made virus that eventually turned and bifurcated as a weapons program. The weapons program stopped in the United States at around the end of 2014 and continued in, in China at the Wuhan lab, the P4 lab, um, by Dr. Xi. That virus leaks out. We don't know why it leaked out, but it did. And eventually it spread a- across the world. 
Um, so we got that right. Um, in now, terms on, because, of the infection. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just ask you about. Let me let me sort of play the devil's advocate here, right? So I've, I've kind of been tracking this story, of course, and there are a number of very prominent people who come out and say, look, the odds of this thing coming out of nature are virtually zero. We haven't found the intermediate species and so on. But it's not, to me, uh, from what I've seen, lots of indications, lots of experts, but a lot of people believe that whether COVID uh, or SARS-CoV-2, whether that is man-made to a lot of people is not like a done deal. It's not like 100%. So where do you sit with that? I have the paper that I sent you when we were doing the the you know the kind of the, oh, the case against China stuff, the case right? the case yeah, against yeah. China and that paper that was published in 2008 that's on my website that states that they took bat SARS like virus coronavirus made a chimera plasmid infected 293 T cells it's a type of T cell with a pseudovirus HIV um, vector. They infected those 293 T cells. And um, what happened, they had a big plate, many, many different cells. They were selectively finding and having that cell combine the two, the plasmids from the, the, the coronavirus, the two, the, the chimera, and the HIV homology. It, it finds its way and recombines. And then they select with another cell line, another 293 cell line that is expressing different ACE2 receptors of different species. So they were able to program the, the, the cell lines to express human ACE2, overexpress human ACE2, or overexpress two other ACE2 animal cell lines. Okay. And this is important. Okay. Remember that because this is how the scientific community is hiding and using the zoonotic theory to hide the weapons program. Now, what happened was in the paper, they, they selected which combination had the highest affinity to the ACE2 human receptor on the 293 cell line, and then was able to do backwardation and find out what's the, how to tweak it. Okay. Now this is the early development. Now what's out there is a far more advanced version of what I'm talking about, but this was happening in a lab in 2007 and published in 2008. Okay. Now fast forward, more research is done with that particular line. And it's not just this line. There were many labs at about the same time that were doing scientific research on an understanding why the bat host was able to live with coronaviruses. Okay. This particular paper was saying, if we take the best of both worlds, a very good replicates coronavirus, with a very good spike protein coronavirus, and we mixed it with a furin cleavage point that happens to have, need the HIV homology, would we be able to jump species? And that paper showed yes. That's the key.
but they also had these other 293 cell lines that had other species ACE2 receptors being expressed. So you had another set of lines. You follow me? You have a, a, another set of lines that would say, oh, we have something that's similar to the ACE2 human affinity virus with the, the HIV homology and another line that is attached to another species. And you had three or four of these lines being in, in development. Okay. So when China said, well, we have a sequence that, that was from a cave from another bat that happens to have one of the HIV homology inserts that was from some of the older work that was taking place. Follow me. They, you know, when they make these lines, they freeze them and, you know, for further study and, and investigation and sequencing and all this. So it's not just there, you're talking about hundreds of lines that were developed. Okay. But certain ones were so good, they were further developed and then bifurcated and further developed. So this was, this was in vitro. Then you had in vivo development when you're starting to get to the DOD where you're doing primate stuff. Now, now you're not just doing it in a Petri dish. What I was talking about in 2008 is the Petri dish. Now it's okay. We're going to now select for higher affinity, higher lethality with primates. The program gets shut down and then it goes over to Wuhan. So it's not just, in vivo, it's not just one line. There were multiple lines that were expressing different ACE2 receptors from different chimeras, different species, and further developed. Okay, so that's that's the I, I take it from the 2008 paper as the genesis point. But there is an argument where you could take it even further than that. But it doesn't matter. The point is is that the scientific community made it. Now, what was the reason that they made it in 2008? I'm still willing to say that it was for scientific purposes to understand how to prevent if it jumps, if it jumps species so they could design pharmace you know, pharmaceuticals or therapeutics. But I think because coronaviruses are, are the common, you know, so common, you know, like the cold <laughs> or the common gold, you know, that there, there was an incentive to make it into a weapons program. And this is where the hydroxychloroquine comes in. And I don't think a lot of people talk about this, but some of the, some of the people, the experts behind the scenes do. The military's answer to this, when this was being developed by the DOD, was hydroxychloroquine. That is the answer. So if it's a weapon, they don't want the they don't want the the enemy to say prophylactically use hydroxychloroquine. The cats are out of the bag already, but don't use hydrox. They don't want the enemy to use hydroxychloroquine prophylactically if they had the intent to unleash it as a weapon. 
you follow me? Yeah. Okay. So, but wouldn't it also be the case? I mean, again, devil's advocate position, Paul, wouldn't it also be the case you say, okay, well, it's not really that great a weapon if like a really common malaria medication can, can keep you safe. It's like, well, it's like, you know, okay, it's an atomic bomb, but you got an umbrella and you're fine. Uh, it's, you know, that would be an argument, I think, against how, okay, well, how could it be that great a weapon if you've got a very common and patent-free drug that you can treat it with? Well, the thing is, is it depends on how you were going to implement. You got to remember that this, this came out of a lab with the assumption that it was accidentally leaked out because of a, a safety issue at the P4. Like the bat bit someone the in the bat, lab. And, the, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, the question, yeah, right. You know, so, and then someone left the lab and then spread it. That's the theory, all right? So, but it leaked out, all right? But it, let's say it, it was contained. Let's say, in theory, we had the government be able to contain it. And it, and it was wrapped up, you know, and, and, you know, and no one could touch it. All right. And they decided to unleash it. All right. It would weaken the society that they're unleashing quick enough to be able to move your military operations to do whatever it needed to. And that your military and your society is already prophylactically using the, the hydroxychloroquine. So you, the chances of your society, the one that's unleashing the weapon, being adversely affected is much less than your enemy because it's a matter of who gets sick first and at, at how, for how long. Right. But your, your, point, your point is right that bioweapons in general are very bad weapons because you can't control it up to a certain point it's, it spreads all over the place and eventually affects your society. Same thing with, I, I would say, same thing with nuclear weapons. The radiation drifts. You can't, you can't say, radiation, I only want you to you know, cross uh, 59th Street and 7th Avenue. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, it just it drifts. It diffuses. So, um, you know, the, these mass, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, they, there is this... It can come back, you know, to the actual individual or, 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 or country that unleashes it. So as a weapon, you're right, it's, it's a poor weapon. But the thing is, is that hydroxychloroquine was the antidote. And you got to remember back, in, back when, we, when we were doing operations with Desert Shield and Desert Storm, you know, that <laughs> Saddam Hussein had chemical weapons. You know, so there wasn't this, you know, the, the, the defense department, the Pentagon does these, you know, you know, does these simulations and, and game theory on, on, you know, how to, you know, how to use these types of weapons if needed. Right, 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 right. You know, and then in the last, you know, so, so back to the, back to the original question is like, what, you know, what, you know, because of this big arc. Another thing that, that I found out recently is, is that uh, the very first testing in New York was at a very famous hospital and a medical center. All right. I'm not going to name the name because I don't, but I know the person personally that did the testing with the RT PCR of the first case in New York City. All right. <laughs> from that medical because they live in the they they work in the pathology department and they were given hydroxychloroquine with CPAC and zinc all the whole medical staff that was dealing with dealing with the the um 
the testing prophylactically. And I find that extremely important information. Hmm. Uh, When was that? When was the first testing taking place in New York? That was in February. Right, right. This is right. New York City, not New York State. I'm talking yeah, yeah, no, New York, no, sorry, no, New York State, that. New York City's first case. Because I mean, I'm I was just watching the TV the other day. I think it was yesterday, and there was somebody who's like, "Oh no, we've had to move on to remdesivir because you know, hydrochloroquine has not proven to be uh, effective, and so on." So, what's the what's the story? Because there does seem to be a lot of pushback against the efficacy of hydrochloroquine. Well, the, the as we were talking behind the scenes, you know couple weeks ago. I'm privy to some information because of my scholastic studies. And I have participated in some grand rounds by physicians that actually treat COVID-19 patients. All right. And hydroxychloroquine has been told to the community. I'm talking about the medical community that it works most of the time, especially if you catch, if you do it early. The problem is, is that if you make a study and it's only of severe cases, you're going to have poor outcomes. And that's what Fauci was doing with the study. Oh, okay. not so looking sorry, at, not looking at. It's like, you know, you got those little under the sink um, fire extinguishers and they're great for a grease fire on your stove. <laughs> but if half your house is burning down, you know, hey, they don't work, right? Is it sort of like that? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And and, it, and it's a very cheap drug. All right. It's very, very cheap. Pennies a pill or whatever, less than pennies a pill or whatever. So the big pharma is going to make a lot of money on that. All right. And it, but, but we have to, we, we have to mention that hydroxychloroquine is not a magic bullet for everybody. You got to catch it early. And for some people, you can't take hydroxychloroquine because you have other issues, you know, because of other medication you're on or you, it, it, you don't, it doesn't metabolize right with you. All right. So not, it's not for everybody, but for a lot of individuals, if you catch it early, it's a, it's, it, it can help. And this is, this is a fact. The medical establishment has, has shown this and anyone Anyone that's saying it, they're either deplatformed, banned, or see, you've heard about Doctor um, Doctor Gold. She, you know, was, you know, had that video and that conference, and she lost her job. Um, you know, as as a, as a as a physician, you know, stating things that she saw in her own practice. It wasn't like she wrote, she, you know, read a paper and said, okay, this is, you know, you know what the French are saying. She's yeah, saying, doctor, this is what I'm doctor, seeing. There's a doctor up here in Canada who's been uh, tweeting about some of this stuff. And uh, yeah, she's got a complaint. And and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's rough, man. It's rough for her to get this information out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's cardiologists that are also saying that some of the adverse side effects that individuals were worried about, because of this, what they call the QT prolonged prolong wave, um, where uh, individuals that are in bradycardia slow heart rates could cause problems. You have slow heart rates, bradycardia, tachycardia is, you know, faster heart rates. So if you have this, you know, slower heart rate issue, it may cause problems. But even the cardiologist, if you manage this correctly, you could still take hydroxychloroquine. So, 
you know, so, you know, it, so the, even the cardiologists, and that's where most of the side effects are, is, is cardiac. Um, but, you know, the medical community is saying, hey, you know, this should be in our toolbox. It shouldn't be. If, if, it, what's happening is, is that Fauci is stating you can build your house, but you can't use a hammer. You can only use a saw and a screwdriver, but you can't have a hammer, you know. And what these doctors need is everything in the toolbox to be able to tweak their treatment for that particular patient, because not all patients are the same. So, so a lot has been learned since we've talked about behind the scenes what was really going on with hydroxychloroquine. Now, with the remdesphere and some other therapeutics, they are targeting a little bit more of the protease you know, inhibition, which is important. And we should have that in the toolbox. I'm so sorry, protease inhibition. I'm afraid that that so note is not kind of showing up for me at the moment. Sorry. Uh, okay. All right. So the, so the, you need protease inhibitors. So, so, so uh, how the, as how the um, virus makes some of its proteins active has to fold them correctly. So they have to cleave certain parts and fold the, the protein correctly. The protease is, is the scissor. A protease inhibitor would prevent the scissor from working and therefore the folding wouldn't happen. And therefore the virus is inactive or has less activity. So, um, so, so remdesphere and, and other therapeutics is, uh, is more targeted for, you know, this protease inhibition, you know, mechanism. MOA, uh, uh, you know, mechanism of action. So, um, so they should have that in their toolbox. And what's interesting is, is that we had Donald Trump today speak a few hours before we, you know, started this broadcast where he was saying, Hey, you know, the therapeutics are, you know, moving along just fine too, you know, and that I, you know, he even mentioned it in the speech. I'm, I'm, you know, that he, wants those therapeutics to hit the market that he doesn't want to put everything in the vaccine you know basket you know as as the answer while fauci is a little bit more on the i want the moderna messenger rna vaccine you know and it's kind of poo-pooing some of the other therapeutics now unfortunately or fortunately for him unfortunately for us he has patents on certain key elements to the, the furin cleavage point spike protein glycoprotein 120 hiv he's got a lot of pants on this stuff wait right? sorry we just make sure i follow this um so dr fauci has patents on stuff that has more value if it's the sole way of dealing with the illness yeah yeah um <clears throat> You, yeah. you probably have had the lecture as much as I have uh, over the years that, you know, conflict of interest seems to be kind of a significant problem when it comes to objectivity in this kind of area. Um, how is this getting past muster? How is this well, getting past this is how, committee? How so, is this? Just help me step me through this if you, if you, can, if you dare. <laughs> okay. So he has a lot of different patents. And a lot of other researchers, as they were developing this stuff in the lab, mm. have patents, all right? Sequences, special 
you know, special uh, inhibitors or chemicals that can stop a process. And what they do is they take that grant money, they do their research, and then they spin something off in a biotech company. Now, specifically for Fauci, what he did was he's on a patent and then he signs ownership, the, the, the residuals that would be made off the patent to the department that he works for. Okay. So the, the, he works under the NIH. Okay. So the NIH or one of the departments under that umbrella gets the royalties of it. Okay. But here's the thing, how he gets around it. This is that there, there's, there's that back, that, that back clause where he can, he, he can be paid in certain ways to get the money. So the pharmaceutical company, Moderna, can't write a check to Fauci for a payment, patent payment. They would write it to the NIH and the NIH gives it to Fauci through his funding mechanisms or, or his own salary. Hmm. It's, around, it's, it's, it's secondary now, it's not primary, it's not a primary transaction. So, you know, but he's got other researchers that he's worked with that spun off biotech companies. And what's odd is, is how do these biotech companies know exactly what to do when the crisis happened? You know, and go, oh, we can, we can, we can create these, these therapeutics really quick. Well, they're still trying to figure out how to solve the AIDS problem, right? And that's been since since the 80s or you know the 70s depending on how you count it but you know it started manifesting doing its manifestation in the in the early 80s they don't have a cure for for hiv all right and we've thrown tons of money at it well they developed the virus in the lab they knew exactly what they they needed to look for to to, to help solve the problem because they made it and then all they have to do is Here's the antidote with the with the the startup, and this is happening with bio dis, uh, uh, distribution. This is happening with Moderna. This is there's a lot of these people. It's like a revolving door. They they get the they get the funding, do this research when they're when the professor at the at the universities, and then they start a biotech company, hmm. and then they All make right. a ton so of money. Let's um. It's kind of a jump. It's kind of an odd jump because I'm sure you heard that it was just today that Vladimir Putin has put out that, uh, boy, have they ever got a vaccine for uh, for people. And it's just things just moving into phase three and his daughter's taken it, apparently, and a whole bunch of volunteers in the for the first responders have taken it. Very little side effects, uh, some soreness in the injection points, a little elevated fever for a day or so. And they've used... Um, harmless coronaviruses is the model for delivering the i don't sorry I, I, it's funny because i was reading this and i was trying to explain it to my 11 year old daughter using you know bag of keys and locks and and then at some point i'm like you know what i don't know what i'm talking about at this point so can you just if if you've had a chance to look at that i mean what is it that they claim to have achieved is it a viable approach to use these inert to coronaviruses as a method of delivering this vaccine do you think it's going to hold or what, what are your thoughts on this 
Well, their vaccine program is very sick. I, I, I did a little show this morning about it when, when the news announcement came, came out. Um, their, their program is very similar to what Oxford's doing. They're doing a DNA vaccine, not a messenger RNA vaccine. Most vaccines, there's different types of vaccines, but the, these types of vaccines, it's not uncommon to have kind of like a, I'll call it a neutered, <laughs> a neutered vaccine, you know, uh, virus, and uh, it's packaged in a vaccine, and it will stimulate our immune system, our adaptive immune system, to recognize certain proteins, um, and then you know, and then we would start to build antibodies. These neutered viruses can't replicate all right in you know that are in the vaccine all right this has been a a method of production and vaccine program for a long time for decades you know so it's the theory is correct the methodology and the manufacturing is there it's been a, a proven technique the problem comes in is is what if the the as the manufacturer, and this is where Mikovits comes in, what happens when the manufacturing is faulty and mm. you get some live stuff in or other things because you're putting them in cells? You no, know, when they make these things, it's going through a cell line. What happens, whatever it's going through, the filtration system it's going through is faulty, you know, you know. Oh, it's like, yeah, like you're, you're shooting a war movie and every now and then a real bullet comes out. It's like <laughs> the extras, man. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, so if like anything in manufacturing, it has to be within tolerance to maintain quality. Yeah. But over time, if you're not recalibrating systems or machinery or whatever, it'll, it will drift. Your manufacturing process will drift out of that tolerance band for, for safety. Well, this is where Mikevitz is, is mentioning, hey, you know, some of these things can drift out and you may actually have something live in there, something not right or something that is recombined with something else that is something that you never anticipated to happen. That's where she gets into the XMRV stuff, you know, that it was a recombination through a manufacturing process that happened that no one knew about it asked the, the philosophical question who's watching these people that are making these viruses and assuring vaccine safety that that, that what's the intent as the years go by that the manufacturing of these things are maintained so you know and and we need to there there unfortunately the, the oversight is very very poor there's supposed to be annual oversight being done by Congress, and it's not being done. That that came Wait, out in the news. On the manufacturing process of the vaccines in America, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, in Russia, they would do it in Russia. I think there are five other countries that they're looking at reproducing this with. They're going to test it in United Arab Emirates, I think, Saudi Arabia, a couple other places. Mm -hmm. Hi highly authoritarian places, let it just be noted. <laughs> right, you know, right, this, right. these may not be entirely voluntary people who are like, you know, if you want to get out of prison, uh, I guess if you're um, get COVID, you get out of prison in the Democrat cities too. But um, 
but the so the approach is is safe but my gosh i mean i i, I did look this up like before the show like as you know that there's like more than a dozen vaccines against common human ailments but only one only one illness has ever been eradicated uh, smallpox and that took like 15 years of highly coordinated international efforts at a time when the international community seemed to be getting along a little bit better than it is now and the world health organization had more credibility because it wasn't being run by a complete marxist lunatic but um is it really feasible to think that this let's say the vaccine works it works as well as a smallpox vaccine it's still 15 years uh eruptions and you know and that's intense coordinated effort and it just I don't know. It just seems like uh, it's still a long way off, even if it's as good as everyone thinks. Well, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't say that the Russian vaccine was safe. <laughs> what I was saying is, is that the theory of neutering a live virus and putting it in, you know, and, mm. and so it, it, it can't replicate and putting it in the body, the theory of it has been proven. Out. Right. This particular virus and all of its nuances through its manufacturing has not been proven. There is no proof whatsoever yet that a large clinical trial with assembled spike proteins on some sort of conjugated system, whatever that system is, put in the human body, there is, there is no evidence that long-term it doesn't cause harm. And I've mentioned, I think on your show, and I've mentioned it on, on, on other, other shows, and, and Mike Adams' show, that there is something called antibody in, uh, enhancement, where you can build an antibody and you can, you can enhance the actual virus to get into the, the body, all right? Because it, it attaches, the, 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 the antibody attaches to the virus, and then there, it, it has the topology that matches the that's the key matches the lock that's on the surface of, of a cell and it allows it to come in to the cell easier hmm. you know antibody induced enhancement is the the terminology it's like the security system that opens the locks for the burglar excellent yeah yeah, yeah. sort of sort of sort of not high but, up on know, the free market list of know, things you want around your house but i think what's more likely to happen and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm worried about is, is a lot of people have heard about people getting that, you know, vaccinated and they have these uh, peripheral or central nervous system disorders and it, it attacks the myelin sheath around the axon. Now, a big reason, not the only reason, but a big reason for this is, is that it, you have an antibody that's created from the vaccine. All right. And it, it so happens that it's attacking the, the myelin sheath and your own body that was trying to fight the virus is now fighting it itself. All right. And this is, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome, you know, syndrome or, or, you know, Epstein-Barr virus, you know, these, you know, there's MS is associated with these autoimmune disorders. There, there's a, a, a big class of, of autoimmune disorders that are associated with some sort of infection triggering event where an antibody is created to fight the pathogen, but it's close enough where it's going to attack certain types of tissue. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm worried about is, is that if we don't do rigorous testing 
and, and have that long term. We don't know for sure that whatever they're putting in people's body doesn't trigger these negative externalities that we're talking about. Now, and I get that. Obviously, I mean, everybody would love it to be, I mean, this is pointless to say from my standpoint, everyone would love it to be bulletproof. But here's the thing, Paul. I mean, I just, I feel like um, a, a lot of these discussions, and, and I'm, again, very sensitive to the safety element of things. It's like, yes, but our economy is collapsing and people aren't getting health care and, and people are getting gun disease from wearing, you know, wearing these masks all day. And it's like, Sure, it would be great, but you know, you you kind of go to war with the army that you have, as the old saying goes. And I mean, as you know, the the uh, the unintended consequences, the the negative externalities, of course, of of all of these lockdowns and this and that. It's like, I mean, I'm I'm with you, man. Like, let's keep it safe. But part of me is just like, let's just roll the dice, man. Because well, if, if we keep this stuff up, I mean, you you know that the number of people we got a hundred million people. Who are about to fall into extreme poverty because of all these lockdowns and i'm like mm, i don't know man let's just roll the dice i mean no, 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 I, i'm right with you i'm right with you i, I mean, just want to get that perspective out there caution yeah, no, no, i agree no, with but no I, I i'm right with you but see here's the thing is, is that this problem is so multifaceted and as we started the show it, it's it, there's a lot of variables that have to be weighed in and they're not they don't have equal coefficients some variables are more heavily weighted than others, okay? In terms of vaccine safety, there's enough evidence to say that we need further testing to assure that we have a safe vaccine program, especially if it's forced on us, if it's mandatory. Yeah, there is that. There is okay? that. All right. So that, that, so, yeah. so that, so let's keep that straight. That's why I'm so forceful on the safety aspect of this, because I think this is going to end up being a mandatory situation. Now, even if the federal government doesn't state that it's going to be mandatory, someone who is working for an employer will have a corporate lawyer say we're in their insurance company, say we're worried about being sued by whoever, and we're going to force all employees to have a vaccine and what recourse if you're an employee that's struggling to say no i'm not and they get laid off and let's say they even sue it's going to be in the courts for a couple years or more and they've already lost their home so they're over a barrel they they ha i mean they don't really have a choice the federal government yeah, and, doesn't and, even and have to force it it's let's like, not forget too sorry to interrupt but let's not forget as well that even the quote safest of vaccines have pretty negative effects on a significant number of people. And by, by significant, I don't mean like it's high percentage, but even if it's only half a percent or, you know, uh, 0.25% or whatever, when you're talking about billions of people getting a vaccine, that's still a hell of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, that is, I, I don't know if you've broken out those numbers, but I mean, we could be talking significant millions and millions and millions of people even if the vaccine reaches its top level of safety relative to other safe vaccines, you're still going to have a huge amount of negative side effects just because of the roll the dice nature of, of human DNA. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll probably have around uh, anywhere from um, anywhere from one to three percent some level of injuredness from this vaccine, even if it's quote safe. All right. Because everybody's 
biochemistry is slightly different and you know the development of that particular antibody is going to be different and all that all right let's um, let's, let's there's really a whole slew life and do some live math here okay <laughs> that's really because so, you know I but i would say the far majority i would say more i would say i'd say you know let's say we have 330 million people in the united states all right if there is a three percent possibility of being injured to some degree that would get us to how many roughly well i just uh, want to what are we at seven seven billion in the world at the moment is it oh that? you want to do it worldwide okay worldwide yeah. we'll all right so, so that's a, all right let's say seven billion so we got seven billion so let's say i just did and, seven and billion three, times and three percent so okay, i just want two percent let's sort of take the middle of the round right okay so we got 140 million people mm -hmm. right that's almost half the population of the united states Right. And about two thirds of those, two thirds of those would be like arthritic pain or something like that. And that's, that can be debilitating. You know, that right. Can be, you know, it'd be, yeah, so you know. We, got, we got 140 million people. If the vaccine is at a very high level of safety, we've got 140 million people around the world who are um, going to be experiencing some significant negative effects from this. And some portion of those, it's going to be fatal. I mean, again, who knows what it's going to be, but. And what have we got in America? 330 million these days? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's do that. We'll do the same sort of numbers. Um, we've got 330. Thank heavens for comments. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> times, uh, I'm uh, more of an art guy. All right. But uh, so then we have 6.6 .6 million Americans, assuming that everybody's going to get this thing at some point. You've got 6.6 .6 million right. Americans. About, and about one third of those will, will have... A, a more severe side effect. And that's from... 3.2 million. I can actually do that in my head. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's that's 3.2 million people who are going to have significant, and that's what, I mean, of course, that's less than the total infections in the U.S. at the moment, which I think are cruising north of 5 million, but it's vastly larger than the death count of, what is it, 155, something like that at the moment, mm -hmm. 155,000? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's over 150,000. So, you know, in, in, so I'm sorry. So the point is that even if we get, you know, this is, I really want people to get, even if we get everything that we want, as far as it's a vaccine at the top level of safety, it's really effective and so on. Millions of people are getting sick because of this thing. And some of those are going to get seriously sick. Some of them are going to die based on the ideal cure or not cure, but preventive, right? I don't, we can't really call a vaccine a cure, but that's, the simple, like, boy, because there is no getting out of this without bodies. There is no getting out of this without sickness. Even if we get everything, and the odds we get everything that we want are not super high, and we'll have to see, see how, how this goes, but there is no way out of this without a massive amount of suffering, a massive amount of sickness. And, and that's, you know, I'm not trying to freak people out. It's just, you know, at some point, you, you got to sit down with people and you got to say, Hey, you know, I mean, you're going to survive this thing, but we're going to take some toes or whatever it's going to be like this, that there is no way out of this. Like we can rewind. Sorry about the right. rant. But I just, no, I no, no, no. I, I, I am a hundred percent with you. I did a video yesterday. All right. And I said that we have to pay homage to the individuals that sacrificed during world war II. They had to fight fascism. And there were many people that that stormed the beaches of Normandy and they knew when they were getting off those boats that they were going to die. So, you know, the thing is, is that we've been living high on the hog for so long mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, and that we everything has been handed to the last two or three generations since World War II, depending on how you count it. You know that that you know maybe it's time for us to pay the piper. You know, in a, in, a, in a strange you know philosophical way, but but the the there is this this need to take risk. We have to take risk because it's not just the virus. We have now the economy is hurting big time. All right. You know, we second quarter GDP because we came out and in the United States, and it's worse than some other countries, but in the United States, it was a negative 32%. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I mean, <laughs> I mean, people are flipping out and jumping out of, out of a building at, at you know a negative eight, not a negative 32. I mean, it's going to yeah, take years to fit, you know, so I, you know, because I live in New York city, there are many, many businesses that are permanently closed in the United States. We have big retail, uh, houses that have been around forever that are going bankrupt, you know? So we, so we have to, we can't, we, we, we can't hide. We can't hide and say, we have to just stay sheltered in place. And, you know, we, 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 and, you know, and just let big government just hand us a check because where's that money coming from? I mean, if you have a deflating economy, printing more and more money, that is a recipe for destruction. That's a recipe for, for, you know, Venezuela. You yeah, know. French Revolution, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Weimar Republic. You can simply go through the list historically and see where you are. And listen, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's really, really tough. But by God, we had a largely bullshit economy. Like, I'm sorry for the French as well, but come on. You walk through the mall, it's like, how much of the shit do people really need? Come well, on. It, do you need nine shoe stores in a mall? Do you need all of it? Do you need different color luggage for every trip? You damn well go on do you need all of this frou-frou bullshit do you need jelly soaps that you can throw around in the shower do you need face scrubs of this particular sea anemone from the south seas or like do you need all of this crap and i get it like i mean it's it's really tough this kind of transition but we've had this weird psychotic coked up bullshit economy for a long time and and this is something we can't it's like some wealthy guy every time he gets in trouble he just sprays money around he's like hey man i got off the parking ticket hey man i got off the drunk driving charge hey man i beat a guy up but i paid him not to sue me hey and then suddenly boom something comes along and his money can't buy his way out of it and that's when he begins to grow the hell up you can't just wallpaper your money out of stuff and yeah the economy shrank 33 percent, but they're going to add five to six trillion dollars of debt in america just in this fiscal year which is completely discrediting of course to the um uh, the Republican Party that was supposed to be so horrified at, at what Barack Obama was doing to the national debt. They say, oh, yes, but we have COVID. It's like, yeah. And before before COVID, there was a housing crash. And before that, there was a stock market crash in the in the tech sector. And before that, there was another housing crash. And before that, there was the Vietnam War. And before that was the Korean War. There's always some damn reason why we can't just save right now. And so this entire, sorry to be so coarse, but this entire bullshit bubble economy, it's like, yeah, we kind of got to get back to basics, making stuff that actually adds value to our lives rather than painting yet another piece of bullshit lacquer on our bullshit fingernails so we look pretty on the subway. It's stupid well, stuff. Well, here, here you're hitting a, a, a great point, all right? 
every time the banking industry is having a crisis, they need the the central bank to print more money, right? And you know that whole mechanism, you know, the, the fractional reserve and all that and how that works. So the, the, the feds make this hot money that gets pumped into the banks so they can stay afloat, all right? But to prevent the hyperinflation that we're talking about, you have to have more goods in the society to buy, all right? That's a way to kind of suppress the hyperinflation, okay? If you start to reduce the number of goods in the society, that means you have more dollars chasing less goods, all right? And that's where you start, it'll reach a certain critical mass, a certain inflection point, and, it's, and then the hyperinflation is going to hit. So I agree with you from a philosophical point of view that, uh, you know, less is more. And, um, you know, the, the majority of, of Western society has way too many goods, way too many optionality for each item at Williams-Sonoma. And, you know, it, it, you know it, it, the society has, has gone overboard with, with this stuff. And we need to get back to basics and the idea of making products that aren't planned obsolescent. And, you know, it, you know, like if another yoga leggings company goes out of business, I actually, frankly, have no problem with that because I'm tired of seeing women standing in line at an ice cream store where I feel like I'm a gynecologist for a mannequin made of plastic. Like, I just don't want to see all this stuff. I, you know, you know, cover some, cover some stuff up. It won't kill you. I, you know, I don't want a guy. Wearing wearing such tight leggings that I know whether he's circumcised or not. Like these are just things that I don't want in my life. Now this is just a personal preference of mine. Obviously, some people like it, but I don't know. Uh, just uh, this monkey bonobo butt show and stuff. Uh, I could stand it. Maybe it's just because I got a daughter who's going to be hitting puberty at some point soon. But it's just like, can we can we get a little? I'm not saying we got to go all the way back to uh, to Amish land for 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 modesty and so on, but. You know, maybe maybe we could find better uses. Hey, how about growing some food once in a while? You know, even if you live in a city, grow a little food. Do do something that's practical and valuable and not just like vanity based. You know, I mean, if if all the tattoo shops close down, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've got better uses for ink, like writing books on philosophy, than you know, mistranslating yeah. Japanese things to put on your forehead. This anyway. this, is, this is no no no. You you're hitting the, the right points here. You know that society has tipped over the edge, you know, and I don't know if we're ever going to come back. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, are go. we, you know, I don't want to go back. No, no. I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it, are we the Roman empire and that, you know, we're actually seeing the crumbling of the empire. You know, I don't know. Yes, we are. Yeah. I no, think, without yeah, it. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, so, I mean, without a doubt, this, you know, I've been sort of backing off from politics lately. And part of that is the deplatforming stuff. But also part of it is just like, I've really been sort of thinking about like all the people, like the Roman Empire took like, you know, three, 400 years to fall, right? So, oh man, so many people were like, I know exactly what the problem is, man. There's the welfare state. We got these open borders thing. We got incompatible cultures. Uh, we've got massive debt, debasement of currency. You know, nobody has to make any tough decisions. We're getting soft. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. For close to half a millennia, everybody knew exactly what the problem was with the Roman Empire. And people wrote about it, and they went into politics about it, and what did it do that they knew all this stuff? What did it do? Right, 
right. nothing. Because right. what value does does rhetoric and and sophisticated language and passionate arguments? I know I'm making one round, but you know, forgive me yeah, for for forgetting my own advice for thirty <laughs> seconds. But what value does all of this language have about? Well, you know, we need sound currency, and you need responsible this, and government debt's too high, and we need to let the free market determine interest rates because otherwise, you know, investors get the wrong decisions about deferred spending. Like I get all of the Austrian economics, I'm a huge fan of, and I think it's great. I love love the market economy and so on. It's like yes, but the fact is that we have about half the population in the West that is utterly dependent upon government money, and you can come up with all the theories that you want, but Basically, if you talk about a rational economic system, those people look at you like you're coming at them to take out their kidneys with a spork. You know, like they're just not going to react positively. And, and no matter what language you use for all of this stuff, they're simply like, no, I need that stuff to live. I can't live without it, man. So whatever you say, I'm going to go to the wall and I'm going to riot and I'm going to burn things down if I don't get my stuff. And I'm like, yes, but I have sophisticated argument. It's like, yeah, well, sorry, man. I mean, I need my stuff. And it's like, it's like trying to talk to a junkie. You know, you can talk. You, you've probably had this experience one, once or twice. Someone's addicted to something. You say, hey, man, that's really bad for you. It's like, yeah, I need it. <laughs> it's like, you really shouldn't have it. Yeah, I need it. And if you get in my way, there'll be a me-sized hole in the middle of you because I need to get through you to get to the thing. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm half an, I'm on the fence about like the value of language in a situation where people are just addicted to fiat currency to the point where they either feel or genuinely can't live without it. Well, I, I've been trying to promote the idea of action and not talk. You know, I, I keep on um, pushing on my, I, I keep on, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You know, my, you know, my, you know, I've been, I keep on pushing on, on, my channel and other channels that I'm that I'm on that action we're at a point now that the the rhetoric um, is important but action is more important you know for example we with with George Floyd right follow me with the, the argument here you know with George Floyd right. he you know, okay I'm with you right, I'm with you so with George Floyd there was the, obviously all these riots, the BLM riots and, you know, and the Antifa infiltration and everything. He, there was some police brutality involved in these minority communities. And I understand that, that that's an atrocity. But think about what just happened. There was one person there. It was based on some police brutality. He dies. And many businesses were smashed up and and looted tens of thousands of people were rioting and burning down cities in the united states literally new york was one of them and there is dollars worth of property damage yeah and they're still looting right now in chicago because there was another reparations but yeah i think that legally it's called looting yeah yeah you know, so, so, you know, AOC thinks it's stealing for bread, but what they're really doing is stealing for a TV and a Gucci bag. It's not stealing for bread, you know, and I, unless they know how to convert TV, you know, a TV into something to eat, but, you know, but the thing, but the, the thing is, is that they're stealing items and they're using police brutality as an excuse. All right. Now, when we have a society that finds that stealing is okay. Killing, no matter where you are on the spectrum, but killing an unborn 
fetus right before birth is okay, then the society is going to get slapped metaphysically, you know, down. And I think we are losing the ethic that, that our grandparents had. And that's why I keep on like trying to go back to the greatest generation and maybe they're put on a pedestal a little bit too much, but I think it's important to kind of like, what were some of the lessons learned with the greatest generation? You had a lot of people that, that during the war, World War II, right at the, you know, right at the beginning, they enlisted. My grandfather was one of them. And, you know, they, they, they enlisted and served their country with, with honor and dignity. All right. And my, my grandmother, she left, left Europe just before the Nazis came in to town. She was able to leave with her, with her father, but her mother and brother were left to die. All right. They went through that ordeal. They went through the ordeal of the Great Depression. My grandmother was so worried about stuff you know, that she, you know, if there was a hole in a piece of cloth, even though she had some money, she would sew it. Or, you know, she didn't put money in the bank. She put them in coffee cans, you know, you know, so, the, you know, so the, so the thing, and, you know, she had a garden, you know, and she, you know, she, the, the point is, is that there was a, a level of uh, built-in austerity within the way they saw the world because of what they experienced. They experienced the Holocaust. They experienced World War. They experienced, you know, a, a Great Depression. All right. And the majority of Western society, especially in North America, hasn't seen that in any shape or form like our grandparents. So, you know, we have kind of like lost our way in, in terms of understanding what is important. When you see half of your family die in a war, your perspective on life is a lot different than, you know, the current generation where the, the, the most important thing is if Johnny, you know, is, is doing well in, in a soccer game. You know, so we just, we don't have the, the right perspective. So it adds into do we have the big house? Do we have five cars? Do we, you know, is, is the kids going to Ivy league school, you know, and yada, yada, yada. And then we're losing, we're, we're losing the connection of what is important between individuals, you know, the human connection, but also the human, the human connection to the earth. You know, when you buy things, I know this sounds a little kind of like, Woo, woo but but when you just go to the grocery store and buy your tomatoes and you're not and you're not growing your food you're losing that energy connection and and seeing it grow over time only to harvest it in the right season and then you're taking that energy you're putting energy into the ground to to take care of and then it's it's being brought back to you for energy and so we have this now modern convenience world and we've lost tune to that connection with the earth. And I, I, I'm finding people in the United States, it's very few, but they are starting to wake up and say, 
I'm going to leave the city or I'm going to leave suburbia and I'm going to get some land in the Midwest and, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, be in a rural area. People are, there are some people, not enough, but there are some that are moving in that direction and they're seeing that this society is spinning out of control. And I see that, you know, I know on your previous program before we started doing this, you know, there was a little bit of a hint of, of uh, you know, the, uh, of religion and philosophy t tied together here. But something very similar is taking place with the story with Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot leaves Sodom and Gomorrah because the angels warn him. Well, something big is happening in our world at large, in our big metropolises. It's being plagued. I mean, we hear about asteroids, we hear about floods, we hear about super volcanoes, we have pandemics, we have, we have locusts, we have dams, you know, busting and, you know, in China. I mean, every possible thing that could possibly happen this year seems to be happening. You know, it's, to me, that's, that's almost like reading right out of the Torah, you know, you know, the plagues of Egypt. That's just straight out of Revelations. Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, I think it's Air Sharks next. It's like Sharknado turns out to be a documentary, <laughs> not, you know, it's going to be like the shark dorsal fins in the fields of wheat. That's probably the next thing that's going down. And the destruction of the cities is is foundational to the end of easy money, right? Because uh, cities are built upon debt, usually. I mean, not rational cities, but the modern cities all built upon debt and the people who are like these aren't accidental things that are happening in the cities they are specifically the the destruction of the core of what props up the current system which is the city i mean it's pretty easy to figure out how it plays out from here because you destroy a bunch of shops you loot a bunch of shops and what happens they're not going to reopen of course they're not even if the people want to reopen them they can't get any insurance and you can't operate in america without insurance so then what happens is there are no grocery stores there are no uh, stores for uh, healthcare. There are no pharmacies or anything like that. And then people are like, "Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta go uh, other places to to get anything done." And it, it wrecks people's day. And then all oh, people say, "Ah, oh, but capitalism has failed you, and the system has failed you, and we've got to go for something really radical and different." And it really starts to radicalize. And people in the cities have this weird belief that somehow farmers just send food in out of the goodness of their hearts. And if the because the the attacking of the supply chain is really important. Like, why is it that they're blocking the um, the uh, the arteries? Why is it that they're blocking the highways? Why is it that they're attacking trucks? Because trucks are the lifeblood of the city. You send food in, so you get money out, so you can buy stuff that was made in the city usually, right? But if the if the money becomes relatively worthless, or if it becomes too dangerous, and farmers are already threatening this, we, this is not my imagination. My farmers, are, if I can't come in, if I can't get insurance to come into the city, if I can't, you know, if I'm going to get attacked, I'm not coming into the city. And then guess what? You know, it turns out your little rooftop time garden isn't going to be quite enough to give you the 2,500 calories a day you need to keep body and soul together. This is an attack upon the civilization that we have, which is city based and you know whether we end up in this fight club scenario where you're hunting deer in the shadows of the ex world trade center or whatever i don't know but there is without a doubt there is a, a and this is what happened in rome right you you finally um you debase the currency enough you can't pay your uh, soldiers enough you can't pay your mercenaries enough they come and take it sack it rome went from what two million to seventeen thousand in in less than a year that the, the depopulation everybody streams out of the country because the city 
relies upon such a complex web of supply chains that you know people don't even notice that shipping has largely stopped around the world and soldiers are actually sorry sailors are kind of impounded in places they're going kind of crazy and people don't want that job anymore you don't want to be a, a trucker if you're not going to be able to get through you can't drive through people because you're going to go to jail you can't stop because you're going to get attacked you can't turn around because there's people behind you people don't like those impossible situations and the moment that that magic automatic conveyor belt perceived in the city just bringing stuff in bringing stuff in bringing stuff in the moment that starts to get threatened people are going to get this completely viking base of the spine chill which is like oh my god i rely on this incredibly complex web of social trust and people are just hacking at it and hacking at it and hacking at it and it is a lot more fragile than people think and the inability of the police forces the inability or unwillingness really a lack of will rather than it is a lack of capacity uh, people don't understand, man. You hammer at the base of these cities' infrastructure. You hammer at the capacity of people to get food in the city. You hammer at the capacity of the supply chains to feed the endless more of the city dwellers. And you can go from urban to rural in less than a year. And uh, that is a huge change. Now, of course, a lot of people would really regret that. But I've always been able to tell, Paul, I'll tell you this, man. I've always been able to tell somebody who's never worked with their hands I've always been able to my whole life, you know, because I, I worked, you know, as you probably heard, I worked up north a year and a half, gold panning, prospecting. I had a lot of manual labor jobs when I was younger, man. You want to see completely screwed up people with their heads up their asses who live in a world of books and sophistry and propaganda and nonsense. You just look to people who've never been able to out talk a situation because it's brute nature. You know, you, you're out there um, three days away from a hospital. You slip when you're drilling something and you you hurt yourself badly, you're probably going to die because it takes a long, you're three days away from a hospital, man. You're going to bleed out. You're going to get an infection. Something bad is going to happen. You have to be really careful and you can't talk yourself in and out of this stuff. And this goes back, I think, to what we were talking about earlier, which is we, we have something here now. We can wallpaper over some of it with money. But the reality is that we can't talk our way out of this one. And that is when people begin to grow up. Yeah. Well, some people will grow up. Some people won't. That's the problem. It's not everybody's growing up. Uh, I, some people I, will grow up. The rest of us will have to arm up, I suppose. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's talk yeah. a little bit about the some of the, the predictions that, I mean, I was there too, so I'm not putting this all on you, but some of the predictions in terms of death count and fatalities and illnesses and so on were pretty alarming early on. They haven't played out. Again, I'm not sure where we were relative to your, and again, I don't want to say your, I was there too, and I was nodding along with it, so I'm not going to sort of put it all on you. But where do you think you stand with regards to earlier predictions of things like mortality and so on, and what do you think has changed that has played out with it being less than, than we thought? All right. The latest prediction I made before the shelter-in-place was starting to be instituted was, and it was a pretty bogus prediction all right i said 165 million americans would contract covid19 and that 6.5 roughly about 6.5 million would die from it all right that's what i stated but i also said said that it would happen in 18 months we ain't not there yet all right mm -hmm. that meant there was going to be three waves and that shelter in place would not work and so there were a few caveats and that the medical establishment would implode, that it would break down, and that we would not have medical care because the first responders would be sick and be mm. taken out. That was the assumption, all right? 
that was before we knew prophylactically that hydroxychloroquine could be used. That was before smashing the curve with shelter in place and all these things. So that's, you know, where that was the bold prediction in late February, around February time. Now, um, where I'm at right now is there is a, there is a second wave. Okay. In, in, in the world. All right. But I've been focused more on the United States, North America and the United States. And that inflection point took place on June 11th. All right. And there's been papers published in cell journal, the journal cell, uh, prestigious journal talking about a mutation called D614 G mutation. And that mutation allows for the spike protein to stay in the body longer and it doesn't shed. The first wave that the majority of the, the New Yorkers went through was the D614 version. Well, everyone that's getting it now in, in the United States is the G614 spike protein version. And that stays in the body longer. And physicians are saying it's more chronic, it's staying in the body longer, even if you get the plasma transfusions, you may get better and then it flares back up. And I'm sorry okay. to interrupt, but this is this the five to 50, I've heard 5%, I've heard 15% and ranges in between of the long haulers, right? Of the people who like they get COVID, even if they test negative, they still have exhaustion. They have loss right. of sense of taste. They have uh, disorientation, they have hearing loss. They have, uh, you know, just really, really debilitating symptoms. And some people are pushing, you know, three, four, five months. Right. These are the, the, the chronic and, you know, the, the, the ones that have the chronic infections or have the chronic illness, you know, right. So, but again, it's not cookie cutter. Certain cohorts are going to have these types of situations. Some of them that had severe lung damage will need lung transplants in 10 years. All right. And that's not, I mean, the doctors that are looking at this have stated this, you know, it's like the, the amount of fibrotic scarring is such that you will not have a functioning lung in 10 years. Why does you know? it take 10 years for that to play out? Well, because it, you know, it, because you never really heal and it just, you're slowly losing capacity of the lung okay. and there's reinfection. And then, you know, because you're, you're constantly breathing in pathogens, right? But if you have a working lung and a working immune system, you're fighting it. But if you're already sick or, seriously, you know, compromised, that the, the organ is seriously compromised, then you're not going to be able to fight the normal things that you're, you're around. And you can see this with people that have asthma or COPD when they're older, you know, they start to decline quicker. This is what, this is, this is the reason. This is that the, all this fibrotic scarring, it's like it's reduced the capacity of the lung, the ability to fight infection. You're, you're already compromised you know and eventually you 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 will need a lung a lung lobe removed or 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 a whole the whole lung replaced and unfortunately a lot of these individuals the damage is is on both sides it's bilateral i wanted to mention this as well um so the CDC said one th over one third of COVID nineteen patients who aren't hospitalized have long term illness. And uh, again, I know these numbers are 
uh, all over the place because it's you know still kind of early in, in the whole life cycle of this uh, pandemic. But uh, it's pretty bad. You got a lot of people with heart damage, a lot of people with kidney damage. Actually, found even eighty percent of people who had no kidney issues before, significant proportions of them end up with uh, kidney damage as a result of this as well. And as we, this is what we talked about earlier. This this son of a bitch just gets everywhere in your system. Mm-hmm. You know, you have it'll, it'll affect the spleen. It's going to affect the the liver. It's going to affect the kidneys. It's affecting the nervous system. It's affecting the heart. It's multiple organs. But you know, a lot of people kept on saying it's just pulmonary. And at the very beginning, it made sense to say that you know because of the ACE two receptors you know that were infected were primarily in the lung. But as as the, the more understanding of this virus takes hold it is more about a blood disease it's 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 the the earth sites the the the, the red blood cells are blowing up and it's clotting and so you have heart attacks and strokes and 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 you know the spleen is trying is working overload to try to filter out the you know the, the this damaged blood and the t cells are you know are in, infected too so this is this is a people don't understand but, but it's a connective tissue disease i mean uh, Blood is a connective tissue, and a lot of people wouldn't think of it that way, but it is. So it's a contact, you know, it, it's a, it's, this is a, it's not just a pulmonary disease. It is a blood disease. And, you know, this is, the, we need to investigate more what's going on with the bone marrow, you know, because that's where your blood is produced, is in the bone marrow. You know, well, do we have, if- is it infecting the T, is it infecting the stem cells? Right. And and there was an article as well. I wanted to mention this. Over 40% of U.S. adults are susceptible to severe COVID-19 because, of course, the underlying conditions tend to be, you know, like the domino effect, right, of, of what, what causes people to go down. So 40.7% of U.S. adults have an underlying condition. The most common, of course, at almost 31% is obesity, which is a BMI. I know it's not perfect, but uh, greater than or equal to 30 so obesity, almost 31%. Diabetes mellitus. I don't know what the mellitus means. I'm sure you can tell me, but 11.4%. Uh, chronic. The mellitus is with the insulin. Diabetes. Okay, okay. Yeah. So COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder or disease, 6.9%. Heart disease, 6.8%. Chronic kidney disease, 3.1%. If you put all of those together, and there's some overlap, of course, um, 40.7% of U.S. adults are susceptible to severe COVID. Actually, you and I talked about this pretty early on, which is, you know, try and get your health back into some sort of reasonable shape. I mean, for itself as a whole, but also because uh, it is going to be uh, rougher if you get COVID. Right, right. Oh, and the comorbidity is a major issue, and I keep on saying it. And, and, and to, to uh, Mike Adams' credit, he is, you know, sounding the alarm as, much, as best as he can, too. It's just like, get that D3 and the vitamin C and the turmerics and, you know, it, you know, it sounds like a, a sales pitch, but I'm telling you, there is a lot of evidence that shows that supplementation will boost your immune system and, you know, exercising, you know, eating right, you know, staying away from pesticides and, you know, the glycosates and all this stuff and, you know, getting proper nutrition goes a long way. 
I mean, if you're going to feed your body garbage, and you're and and you and you and you're not at the and the right nutritional supplementation level, when you do get a pathogen in your body, it's harder to fight. But if you're eating the right foods, have the proper you know diet and exercise and supplementation, that is that is an extra boost to your immune system that when it needs that energy to fight it, it has it. So this is part of the reason why people grow older quicker is because their system, their metabolism is running low. You know, mm -hmm. there's lots of research that if you take tissue samples and look at the, the, the histology of, of the cells of an elderly individual versus someone that's younger, that the number of mitochondria is drastically diminished in an elderly person. And by supplementation and reducing um, um, uh, 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 oxidative stress, all right, it's called ROS, reactive oxygen species. But, but if you reduce ROS, that will upregulate mitochondria, and the mitochondria is your ATP. So this is why people that say, oh, I'm working out and I feel I have more energy. Well, that's because your body is saying, I need more mitochondria. And, and, and it's producing more ATP. And it's, it's a positive feedback loop. All right? But it can go in reverse, too. If you don't use it, your mitochondria starts to wear down and start to die off, not to replicate in the cell as much. And it's, it's producing less ATP. And if there's not enough ATP in the cell, then it can't do its operations. So it's very simple. And so if it can't do its operations, then when you get infection, it can't fight it very well. So it's in essence, just get your body producing more ATP. It sounds like, huh? But that's how it works. Your, your body needs the ATP to, to run, to do all of its functions, to, to do phosphorylation, to do ion pumps, uh, you know, all, everything that's going on, you shut down that ATP, you're shutting down your body. Same thing in the economy. You, sh you, you know, you shut down businesses and then the entrepreneurial spirit, you shut down the society. That the ATP of the society is the entrepreneurial spirit. Right, right. And I think it's important for people to remember, you know, when you, when you get lost in the day's numbers, and I, of course, have been checking the, the numbers, I guess, fairly regularly but uh boy these uh these numbers in the u.s are going uh you know pretty high pretty quickly you know it, it only took what uh, six weeks to go to add another million right this is and this is right yeah this it's, is, it's really going high pretty quick yeah this is why i was mentioning earlier about the inflection point on 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 uh june 11th that's the beginning of the second wave the first wave you know obviously starts late uh february peaks in March, late March or so, and then starts to come back down. Now I'm looking at the United States as an aggregate. In some states, you may see the curves more, more exponential. Other states you see it, you know, come down and then come up. So, but if you look at the aggregate of the data, this is that DG mutation that I was telling you about. And that inflection point starts in, in June, on June 11th. And then it starts to, to ramp up. Now, the reason why it's higher is a few reasons. There's more testing. So there's more cases. All right. That's one reason. 
there's more confirmed cases, but that doesn't explain just because of the take that the, you're testing more and you get confirmed cases. You also have hospitalizations going up. That's the more important number to look at, not just the confirmed cases. It's the hospitalizations because that means it's serious. All right. It, it, it involves more care from the first responders. So those went up. And part of the reason is that one, we already have a society that is getting weaker by being in sheltered in place. People have been gaining weight. They're not working out. You know, they're depressed. When people are depressed, they're going to eat their bonbons, you know, and, and you know, and Kit Kats, you know. So they're, the, the nutrition is, is going down. Their exercise is going down. There's not one time. And, uh, I was saying that yeah. uh, the, the domestic violence is up. Uh, kids who are in difficult households don't even get the escape or relative escape of school. Uh, the kids, of course, aren't getting uh, structured exercise. Like when I was a kid, it was just, you know, you get on your bike, you just roam around the neighborhood. From, from But people don't feel comfortable with that anymore. And so it's all structured stuff. The kids don't have the structured stuff. Uh, you know, friends of mine, kids who, you know, played basketball and volleyball in school, they don't have any of that at the moment. And it's really, really tough to get them active. Well, there, there is a, um, there's an individual, um, I don't want to say where, I don't want to say their name, but there's an individual that, well, you know, there's a, there's a, there's no, 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 my heart goes out to him, but there's an individual that's on YouTube that, that recently went through a divorce. Okay. Um, and the kids are now gone. He's alone. He's in his twenties, mid twenties. And now there's substance abuse issues and it's looking like he's spiraling down to like a suicidal kind of thing. And this is a very real situation that's happening that not enough channels are talking about is the mental health issue of the loss of the job, being sheltered in place for so long, like you said, the domestic violence issues, okay. there is, you know, I, I mean, just, it's, it's tough. It's tough for the single people, right? I mean, it's tough for the single people because they can't go out and socialize. They can't go out on dates. They, you know, so they really are alone. And, you know, we are, we're dogs, not cats, man. We, we get a little nuts if, if we spend too much time alone. And, uh, you know, loneliness is what a pack of cigarettes a day in terms of its ill effects on health. So, yeah, again, we're trying to find some magic way out of this. Like we can, we can get this Band-Aid off without experiencing any pain. And I mean, at some point, we're just going to have to say, no, it's, we got to just choose the lesser of two evils. But the idea that we can get out unscathed is, is, is a complete fantasy at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's why on my channel that back on in, in February, in, in March, I had a healthcare worker, mental healthcare worker, actually from Canada. Uh, she's on the west side of, of, of Canada. Um, her name's Linda. And she said that if anyone wants to talk, you know, you know, just contact her and she'd work you through you know, whatever problems you have. So, you know, if all you got to do, you know, if you want to contact her is just go to YouTube, type in my name and Linda, and those videos will pop up and her contact information is in the description. And she's, you know, she, she wants to help people. I mean, that's what she does. But uh, it is a very real issue that people have. There's, there's a psychological component here that needs to be discussed and addressed. Um, 
And even, even therapists, won't, a lot of them won't see anyone in the office anymore. So you, you can do it this way, I suppose, which is not quite the same as, as human contact. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a doctor friend who once who was like, yeah, some of the uh, older women, they come in, they don't really have anything wrong with them. They just want to chat and, you know. Well, yeah, you know, and that just talking helps. I mean, yeah. you know, and, I, and in a strange way, and maybe you've had this thought already, you know, but people tune in to hear us. And I say us in the larger mm. sense on YouTube, you know, because they need that human connection. They need one to get some information, other people's perspectives, but this is becoming their daily routine to tune in to Stefan and, or myself or whoever, you well, know, yeah, no, and that's, we're sure part of their family. Yeah, I, I do get a lot of messages from people who were like, you know, you know, I'm kind of stuck at a crazy tribe, but, you know, it's great to know that there's a voice of reason out there who's willing to say it as it is and all that. And uh, that sort of touchstone of, of just reality check and so on, it is pretty essential for people because we wouldn't normally have access to this wider social network. And, yeah, you do kind of slot into people. And I think it's a good thing that we're doing to, to talk to people in a way that helps them remember that they're not crazy, even if they're surrounded by crazy people. All right. Well, let, let's close off with this, if, if that's right. I really appreciate your time tonight, Paul. The fall, the fall, the fall, the fall, because, you know, we got a second wave going on and France is going the wrong way and Florida ain't looking good. And there's a lot of stuff, especially with younger people in Florida these days getting sick more, but it's still outdoor breezy time. You know, I mean, people aren't stuck indoors. You don't have kids all congregating. And there's what is a school in Georgia where the kid uh, took a photo of the hallway, nobody was social distancing, nobody was wearing masks. The kid got suspended for, you know, whatever, right? And then they put her back in, but now there's like six confirmed cases in the school or something like that. So I think uh, I think the fall is not going to be good, particularly in the northern climates here, because everyone's, you know, you can all gather outdoors, but that's going to change, you know, come, come late fall, and it's to me too cold to be outside. What do you think is going to happen with regards to the schools and the kids and the fall. I mean, that's going to, especially New York too, for you, it's too cold to be outside and all that. So people are going to go back in. Right. And that's funny because people say, oh, well, it's called a cold. And it's like, yeah, it's called because it happens in the winter months because everyone's indoors. It's got, it's got nothing to do with being cold. They've actually put people to baths and exposed them to colds that didn't get sick at all. And only to do with being in, indoors is why there's very little colds in the summer and very little summer flu and so on. So what's what's the story in the fall, do you think? Well, the the, the grade schools, um, when they go back to, to, to school, and some of them are going back to school already, in the fall, there's going to be more cases. Um, now, uh, the far majority of those cases are going to be not severe. But there will be some that are severe. I mean, there, there's some stats. There was a there was a, a paper that just came out, and they were stating that um, you know the the young ones uh, about anywhere from depending on the state in the United States, anywhere from 05 percent to five point three percent of the total COVID nineteen confirmed cases those young ones would need to be hospitalized. So that kind of gets you like the severity of this. All right. Some of it in some areas could be not so severe in some areas. It could be very severe. If it's your own child, it's going to, it could be devastating, obviously. So you know, we're going to see more 
infection that's that's going to take place but it's we're it's going to be masked or exacerbated because of influenza because we, we haven't been hit by right now we're just going through the covid virus you know the the, the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 right we're going to be hit in the fall with SARS-CoV-2 your normal influenza and your normal garden variety coronavirus all right and if you already have individuals that are somewhat sick by influenza or the normal cold and then they're around someone that happens to have COVID-19 then your R0 values may go up mm -hmm. you follow me so because now you're like we've said it's important to boost your immune system well if you're going through the cold season all right your immune system has gone down right and the susceptibility to for spreading the virus will increase or the probability of it so i suspect that the r0 value will go up a, a little bit you know right now it's like 1.1 depending on who you talk to but it's like 1.1 it could be 0.9 in some areas if if you're in a down down tick like in new york it's less but if you're in an uptick like california or florida it's you know it's more than 1.1 but let's just say it's 1.1 all right so for every one person that has it another person will get it so it's going to slowly creep up all right now when they when we're in the cold season and people are somewhat compromised by just the garden variety cold stuff then that r0 value is probably going to notch up to 1.5 maybe two so that means for every one person that has COVID 19 it's going to spread to two people because so that's part because of that, already, the, sorry, that's just because they're already immunocompromised with the flu or the cold or whatever it is, right? Right. right. Okay. That's the point I'm making because it's about viral load. Never, it never crossed my mind. <laughs> just to be honest with you, like it, it should like, have, like, completely like, obvious, never crossed my mind. Like, like for example, for, for a simple mind experiment, if I had theoretically one viral par particle, and I put it into your into your nose or into your throat. The chances of you get, getting, and that was SARS-CoV-2, the chances of you actually contracting COVID-19 is like very, very, very small. If Even if I put two viral pro particles in, very small probability, but you got to inch it up to a certain viral load before you actually get the virus. And that's what people don't understand about masks is it's not designed to completely bulletproof protect you but if it reduces the viral load either going out or coming in right, it's going right. to do you some good right exactly but now that's one you know that's one part of the differential equation it's about the viral load but it's also about your immune system if it's low then the amount of virus that needs to come in your body to take hold is less but if you have a very strong immune system, you can take a larger viral load mm. up to a certain point. I mean, there's within reason. I mean, if you 
drink a bucket of this stuff, obviously, no matter what you're, you know, some people, you know, some people think, oh, you know, if I, you know, I'm taking vitamin C and I could drink a bucket of, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, and I'll be fine. Worst, no, worst I mean, rat painting <laughs> ever. I just want to point that worst rat ever. Right. Okay. No, but, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a differential equation. It's about rates of change. Okay. And that a lot of people can't think that way. They didn't take, you know, some of the higher mathematics, but, but it's about rates of change and it's a multivariable problem. And viral load is a big component and the immune system of that individual that is contracting that virus. That's a big component. And that's why I keep on saying that Boost your immune system is one of the most important things that an individual can do to prepare for the fall. Because if you don't do that, you're in a worse situation. Do you think that the schools are going to, I don't, I, my gut says, which is nonsense, obviously, but I just tell it anyway, right? My, my, my second brain, my brachio brain or whatever you want to call it. But my gut says there's no way these schools can stay open. And it's not because the kids are going to get super sick. I get, you know, that the kids have a, obviously some weird anti-vampire immunity to this kind of, still not immunity, but they're less susceptible to some of the, they don't go into the psychotine storm and all that kind of stuff. But I just, I don't know, I just, having these kids all in there and, you know, they're kids, so oh, the mask yeah. is going to be uncool. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I mean, this just going to be like vector spread and let's get back to teaching on grandma's knee or like, it just seems like, how could this possibly work? The question that you brought up in some of the background, we could talk about this for three hours, all right? It, it, it's that deep. But yeah. I'm trying to unpack it the best that I can for, for the audience. But in a strange way, them being super spreaders may be what we need for herd immunity. By spreading it and getting it out, so like... Mankind. Oh, then we're back to what was the point of flattening the curve? We should just go to full Sweden and let this thing rampage like wildebeest across the landscape to begin with. Sorry. Well, that, that, <laughs> well no, no, you're, you're right. You're, you're right. But at the time when we were thinking about what we should be doing, we didn't know what we were dealing with. Mm, there was yeah, a big yeah. unknown. Now we have the knowledge of hindsight of what we're dealing with. And I think that going through herd immunity with boosting up your immune system with supplementation is the best policy and making sure that doctors have all the tools in the toolbox to be able to treat. And what will, what, by doing that is one, we will start building naturally the antibodies in our society instead of having it forced into the society through a forced vaccine program that would prevent the ID passport, you know, enforcing and people. Effects which we talked about, the 2% or whatever it's going to be, one and a half to 3%, those negative effects won't occur if the antibodies are produced in a more natural way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we're, we're, so by doing this policy, you are attacking the virus biologically and you're also attacking the sociological things that are happening. If the kids go to go to school, the parents can go to work. But if the parents can go back to work, but the kids can't go back to school, who's going to take care of the kids? 
So there, there's that issue. You know, well, who's going to do the daycare? My argument to that is have the mom stay home with the kids. It's going to drive up the wages of the dad uh, back to 1950s level, and everyone can live comfortably on one income again because the demand remains the same. So that's my argument. And plus, we can transmit our cultural values, and women, the, the kids are going to be much better educated, and they won't be indoctrinated, and, and it's going to be a continuation of Western civilization. So maybe I guess I have a bit of an incentive for the schools not to re reopen, but I, I view, you know, wh why should everyone go back to work? This is part of the bullshit economy that I was talking about earlier. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is again, it's the differential equation. All right, you have to have deflation. Differential first. equation, not an argument. Sorry, guys. Anyway, but, but, but the thing is, is that you, you the, but, but the but the, de the deflation has to take place and a restructuring of the debt would have to happen before you can do that one bread earner type scenario that you're talking about. Hmm. For example, for example, people have a mortgage, but they qualified for the mortgage because they had a dual income. Okay, that mortgage has been packaged into some sort of mortgage-backed security. Okay, if Boy, they've never been a problem before, have they, Paul? <laughs> right, right, right. Securities right, exactly. that people have shipped overseas because they're too toxic to handle in the in, in the internal economic system. I don't. But, I don't I'm not getting any but, here. But but here, but the point is, is that to, to get to that point where it's a one parent earner, you have to unravel this toxic mess that has been you know growing since the 70s oh and that's the, sorry just the, the, that's the thing too i'm sorry i keep interrupting you but you know people are oh my god that looter stole a television it's like yeah let's look at the banksters let's look at the federal reserve let's look at the entire parasitical blood brain child eating mother fracking leeching industrial strength Javex to the frontal lobes financial system we got going on here. It's a little bit more dangerous than some guy running out of Walmart with a TV. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's my last well, comment. I agree with you, but the thing is, the unraveling this is like a bear. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's almost impossible to unravel. But that's why I keep on mentioning. I, I I did mention on your show previously is the what I call the Bio Patriot Act, and that is that they want to have forced vaccines. They want to have militarization of, of the police with military grade equipment. They want drones. They want 5G, you know, uh, surveillance type. Um, and they need to get our masks off our faces so they can get facial recognition software everywhere you go. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's a good point. But, you know, and, and, and with the forced vaccine program, it ushers in this idea that, well, now you have to have a digital passport. And, and Bill Gates has mentioned a lot about this in the ID 2020 idea, that you have to prove that you've been vaccinated so you can get your car, your license or whatever, be able to get on a plane or have a job or whatever. So there is this tracking mechanism that is, is being instituted. And because the petrodollar is so unstable, just like you mentioned, because of the Federal Reserve and its craziness with printing money, that they're going to move towards a decaching of the society, where we'll no longer have cash and coin. And a lot of people would say, well, big deal. Well, you can take your money out of the bank if you have negative interest rates. When 
you ha when you have a digital currency, you can't take the money out of the banking system and put it under your mattress. That's why I was mentioning my grandmother didn't trust the bank. She put it into a coffee can. Yeah. She'd been right? through a background, I assume, right? Right, right. And when you have digital currency and then you have it all tagged, if you don't toe the line of what the government wants, they turn your ability to have transactions off. You can't travel. You don't meet the social scoring or whatever. You and I, and you've experienced it much, much more than I have at a much larger degree. But if you don't say the right things to the right people, they turn you off on these platforms, right? Now, just ex now extrapolate this step, that. This such a step forward from Hemlock. This is what 2,500 years of civilization has done for us. If they no longer burn <laughs> down the library of Alexandria, they no longer burn you at the stake. They don't force you to drink Hemlock. They just turn off your channel. It's like, yay, progress. <laughs> well, the next step is they're going to yeah, turn yeah, off your, 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 your ability. They're going to turn, turn off your ability to, for commerce. They're, once the society goes, is decashed, and we're we're in a some sort of social scoring, ID passport kind of mechanism, wallet or whatever we want to call it. If you don't toe the line, if you are a dissident, then you're not going to be able to get that job. It's how you get around the First and Second Amendment. I mean, it's it's a yeah yeah really exactly yeah yeah. yeah. They don't have to. They don't have to take the guns, and they don't have to say you 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 can't have freedom of speech in a law. All they have to do is tell the tech companies, you know what? We don't like this individual saying these sorts of things, so you shut them down. That's why I'm saying that the government doesn't have to institute a policy written in law stating that you're going to have to have a forced vaccine because okay. it's going to be through a proxy through corporations that they're going to say, we will not allow an employee to work unless they have the vaccine. And there, no yeah. one's going to have any recourse. I'm not sure, like I've seen what happened to me, Paul, I'm not sure there are a lot of people who are going to be rushing out making documentaries critical of China. Like, I just don't think that's going to be on people's business plan list, even though there's no law, says you can't. But people look at the cause and effect and the consequences and say, eh, yeah, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll choose some other topic or whatever. So yeah, you're right. This kind of soft stuff is pretty, pretty powerful. Right. And this is why I'm, I'm, I keep on mentioning on my channel and other other people's channels when I'm when when I'm being interviewed and just having conversations like this is that we have to have an engaged citizen getting out with groups. And mentioning the policies that we we're talking about, that, that how they're eroding the civil liberties and how to if. If there's enough individuals that are protesting, similar to what happened with the protests that recently happened with George Floyd, instead of protesting that and breaking down windows and stealing TVs, but they went to their, their city hall and stated, we will not accept forced vaccines or social scoring or this decaching of our society that it, we're not allowing it and you're not going to erode our second amendment or our first amendments 
then the politicians will have to start paying attention. But they're assuming that we will stay passive because we're worried about our job or we're worried about, you know, maybe people will make fun of us or whatever it is, but they're betting that we'll be passive. And the lobbying group has captured, just like what Kennedy has said when he was debating Dershowitz about vaccines, um, the politicians have been captured and not listening to individuals that are voting for them, that literally vote for that congressman or senator. They're just paying attention to the lobbying group. And that lobbying group, unfortunately, in this case, in this big thing, is the banking lobbying group and Big Pharma. Those are the two big ones. And I find it really odd that the, the attorney general of New York went after the NRA because the heads of the NRA misappropriated some funds, or at least that's the charge. You know, they have to be found guilty, you know, but, but, the, but they're trying to bring down the whole NRA. Well, why go to that extreme? Why don't you just abolish those individuals and prevent them from being on a nonprofit anymore and just have them elect new president, vice president, or whoever, whatever level of, of their executive level was? No, they're going after closing down the NRA. Well, that's the largest lobbying group in the United States supporting the Second Amendment, which happens to be the firewall for the First Amendment. And every other amendment and Bill of Rights and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so I find that this is a very orchestrated effort by, by the establishment to try to corral the citizens of the United States to capitulate and usher in socialism and in and, and, and a, and a one world, you know, one world government, because with a one world government, it's anti, it's antithetical to the things that Trump has been saying. The one world government doesn't want borders. Because it doesn't want competition we, between right. it doesn't want competition between countries for the smartest and most productive people. You got it. You got which it. Is, it. Which is which is why it runs to the Fed, uh, the federal government, rather than allowing states rights, because then you get for people that. You know, even Joe Rogan is abandoning California after it enacted all the policies that Joe Rogan likes, and he's moving to Texas. I'm sure he'll advocate for the same policies he fled from California. But if you have more experimentation, I mean, people looked at the historical example, looked at brain drain around the world as everybody hightailed it to America in the 19th century and the first half of the, well, first three quarters of the 20th century until sort of things got tougher to, to move to America. But yeah, this this competition for smart people, for the Pareto principle geniuses who actually make the economy move, you know, they definitely want to uh, not have competition uh, in people. Uh, and one world government will be a chance to eliminate that competition in the same way that the EU eliminated the value of fiscal responsibility for uh, Germany and, and uh, if I, <laughs> I guess, eliminated the value of fiscal responsibility in particular for Greece. And so, yeah, they, they love having one rule for everything because, you know, it's like... Uh, getting rid of your competition and and then you can just start raising the chokeholds to everyone and there's no place to go we as a society are in danger of losing what we have inherited 
because of previous generations willing to fight battles and to protect that constitution. And we, we've been softened up, not willing to fight, not willing to stand up and say, hell no. And we are now at a point where the Democratic Party is doing ads on YouTube saying, please give us some money, you know, so we can get those four extra seats in the Senate. Can you imagine if they had the whole, con the whole legislative branch? Oh, and they got rid of the they would usher, and, Oh, yeah. Oh, no, God. Oh, my God. The thing is, is that the only thing that prevented Trump from not being in, you know, in, you know, pulled out of office was the Senate. Yeah. You know, and you in if we lose the Senate, then they're going to usher in these policies that we've been talking about. Oh, they could tonight. remake America in six months. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to see communism in the United States. You know, and it's, you know, we, we got, you know, we somehow, some way we have to stop it. And I'm trying to galvanize the, the some of the citizens in, in the United States the best that I can and say, decentralize, get organized and start protesting on these policies that we're talking about, that you don't want these things to happen. Because if they do, you're not going to have the country you were born in. You're going no, to not yeah, and it will, and it, it, it it'll, and it probably will never happen. I, I mean, I, we probably will never see anything similar to what America was for another four hundred years or longer. I mean, it, it will take uh, Mars, you know, because America yeah. was. I mean, to some degree, yeah. you know, yeah. all due respect to the indigenous population, but it was to a large degree virtual and an intensely philosophical group of men who created the first philosophical society or philosophically based society, something that didn't just originate out of historical inertia and dominoes crashing and, and just what you inherit, <laughs> but was actually a blueprint design society. Uh, it wasn't a renovation. It was a fresh build. And there's right. no place on earth that you can really do that again. So it'll have to be Alpha Centauri or Betelgeuse or something like that, which, you know, if you get communism, you're never going to get into space anyway, because they'll just consume all the resources for vanity projects. All right. Well, listen, Paul, let's, let's uh, leave it here. Really, really appreciate your time. Um, let me uh, just, of course, remind you, I'm sure you'd remember, to remind people uh, where to get uh, your work on, on the website uh, and, and YouTube and so on. Yes. So the, I published quite a bit. The best way to get to see my, my publications is on YouTube or Brighteon. So my, um, my channels are Paul Cottrell on YouTube or Dr. Paul Cottrell. I have a backup channel because of the whole demonetization issue. And then Dr. Paul Cottrell on Brighteon. And in the description box are my Patreon accounts and my website, which is the-studio-reykjavik.com. But all you have to do is just go to the YouTube or Brighteon accounts and it's very easy to get a hold of me. All right. Yeah. I'll put all the links that below. And just remember, it's uh, Cottrell, two T's. So C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. -L, so two T's, two L's. And uh, yeah, really, it's a great pleasure to chat. Uh, thanks again for your friendship and, and counsel over the months, over this year. And uh, let's do it again soon. And uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you know, I, I enjoy these conversations. And, you know, if you want to have this as a, you know, uh, 
you know, a repeated thing every week or every other week or whatever, uh, you know, I'll put it in my schedule and we can do that. I appreciate um, that. Very kind. And we'll stay in touch about that. So yeah, check out Old Paulston. Great pleasure to chat again and have yourself a great night.